Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, no World Cup for Cristiano Ronaldo and football is not coming home. A huge morning of upsets and triumphs. You're listening to The Gagan Pod. Hello and welcome to Optus Sports Football Podcast, The Gagan Pod. I'm Amy Duggan and today I'm joined by Premier League legend Michael Bridges. He's not smiling, but we'll get into why in just a moment. And 26-time soccer striker Scotty McDonald. Can't wait to pick a couple of strikers' brains today. And of course, Mark Schwarzer will be chiming in all the way from the World Cup. Bridget, I'm not going to ask you how you're going today. I'm going to check in with Scotty first. How's your morning, Scotty? Oh, great. It's brilliant isn't it you know obviously uh, the English unfortunate once again uh, be crying all the way back to England um, now nah, look it was a wonderful morning of football again the upsets just keep coming don't they I mean I know we'll talk about England a lot with France but um, Morocco what a story that is you know first African team to get to a semi-final unbelievable and the drama this weekend this is what the World Cup's all about yeah, it is. Uh, Bridgie, I know there's tears there and uh, it's probably a brave face that you're with us and you're not absolutely smothering drunk this this morning or or for you this evening after having to sit through that. Commiserations, mate. But England going down 2-1 to France. I have to say it, Bridgie, but football won't be coming home this World Cup. Do you know what I noticed? I said to you in the last Gagan pod, win, draw, lose, I would be on the booze and I would be here chatting to you. You're right, the time difference is different. Drown me sorrows with a gin and tonic. Remember, always drink responsibly. <laughs> Tonight I won't be. I am um, letting it all out, unfortunately. And yeah, it was just, it wasn't meant to be. I didn't sing It's Coming Home this year because I'm sick of singing it. I was singing We're Gonna Bring It Home. Unfortunately, we are not yet again. I'm fed up with being an English fan. Um, yeah, good Good luck to the French yet again. <laughs> double, double champions, no doubt. Mate, you just need to keep supporting the women's game because you, you, your England team are doing the job there. So don't worry about the men's. Thank you, Scotty. Well, yeah. I was going to throw that in there, but you've done well. Yeah, right. We've got the World <laughs> Cup to look forward to in Australia and New Zealand. We've got the Lionesses. And since the win, obviously, it's been mad over here about the, the Lionesses. And Jill Scott just won the Celebrity Jungle. So her status has gone to a whole new level yet again. There you go. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Well, we were saying in the office here this morning, if anyone was going to save a Harry Kane penalty, it would be his club mate, Hugo Lloris. Um, Let's talk about the first one because, wow, Kane absolutely buried that, didn't he? He, he absolutely spanked it, didn't he? You know, um, a lot of the time when he hits his penalties, he usually hits down the middle. I mean, we'll talk about the second one in a minute, but he couldn't have hit it, hit it any cleaner. It just reminded me of 2018. He hit one in exactly the same position. Um, I'm pretty sure it was against Colombia when he hit that one right in the top left-hand corner. Um, but look, Lloris, there's been a lot of questions on Lloris in terms of as a goalkeeper, whether it's for Tottenham, uh, obviously, he's one of the highest cap earners in, in French football history now. The, the leader, the captain, the gel for, for the French national team, as they say about him. Um, but there's still always that question. Is he classified as the best goalkeeper in the world or one-off? Um, but he certainly turned up um, this morning. 
He was in absolute fine form. Some of the saves he pulled off. I mean, the one he came out for Harry Kane at the, you know, and, and smothered him in the first half. That one where he tipped over in the second half. It was just, it, you know what? It came alive second half. It was a really, really entertaining game and end-to-end stuff. And, and that's what we want to see. Not, look, Morocco got through, but do I want to see games like that where it's one-way traffic for majority? No. The French, the France and England game was great because it was neck and neck, end to end, and you just didn't know which way it was going to turn in the end. Scotty, can I just say, can you imagine, right, us being strikers, yeah. can you imagine the mindset of Harry Kane when he's he's putting that ball on the penalty spot, right, and he's going up against Larissa's club teammate, right? I, I was putting myself in that predicament thinking, do you know what it is? You practice penalties so many times against the goalkeepers at your club and the nowhere you go most of the time. So the, the, I thought the, the battle between the two, you know, the psychology about it, when I was watching that first penalty, I'm going, well, Harry Kane, he spanked that, he sent him the wrong way, he's done everything perfect. He gets the second opportunity, and then it's, I, I think the moment he thought, I'm going to go the same side, he actually saw Lloris gam, gamble to yeah. the right side, and he's gone to put the extra height on it, and he's, he's obviously yeah. ballooned it. So have, have you ever done, have you ever come up against a goalkeeper where you've done that, where you've yeah, been one of your yeah. colleagues? Yeah, I think Swarty used to get in your head really, really well as well. He did did me no favours at national team level. He'll be happy to know. Um, but you, you do second guess when people know you and you train with them all the time. And that second penalty, like you said, Bridgie, was was bang on. Like It was like he changed his mind uh, middle of run-up um, to hit that ball. Usually, though, Harry Kane will, a lot of the time, hit down the middle. So I was shocked the second one, he never just spanked it right down the middle, which he which he's done time and again for Tottenham. Yeah, I thought the mind games really got the better of him there. And, and I will dig into this a little bit deeper with you because um, the second penalty, obviously their chance to go out, his chance to go outright clear as England goal scorer. There's the pressure of that. He's the captain of the team. Uh, he's already buried the first one and buried it beautifully. So to stand up there and know you've gone left where most of his penalties actually do go, Scotty, down the left side. He'd missed a couple. Uh, one hit the post and one on the right side. He'd also missed for the national team previously. And I thought he'd be knowing that Larice knew that and should he go the other way? And if he just waited that extra second and, and left foot into the right corner, it would have looked really simple, wouldn't it? Because he sent him flying. Um, is it as easy as trying to think what the goalkeeper's thinking and, and outsmart them with all that pressure on you? You know, the first one he hit, what I, what I really loved about Harry Kane, the first one, the referee blew the whistle, but Harry said, I'm waiting. And he, he composed himself and he went through his whole routine yet again. And I was thinking, what the hell is he doing? But he composed himself because mm. he wanted, he didn't feel like it was the moment. And he played mind games back at Larice, And he did that. The second one, like you say, I just the, the amount of things that were going through his head would have been like Spaghetti Junction. So when you think about it, it was basically the, the, the teammates were what came out 1-1, didn't it? They were, they, were, they were even at the end of the day. He scored was he the right one. person to take that penalty, Bridgie? There's the question for you. Was he, was. he the right person to take that is. penalty? When you've just stepped up and you're the penalty taker, Scotty will tell you, you've, you've knocked yeah. one away. You're full of confidence. He should have been on it. Yeah. Nobody else would have had the kahunas to do it. Yeah, I don't know. There'll be some differing opinions out there. The chances of you having one penalty is, is slim in the game, right? And you've got to be prepared for it, but... The chances and the opportunity to have two in, in you know normal time um, is very very rare, and particularly when the weight of a world, a weight of a country is on your shoulders at two one, you know five minutes to go, you're either in or out at this stage. So there was a lot of pressure on that penalty kick, and I've done, I don't I can't remember him actually skying one though. That's the thing, you know, getting it that high over the bar, 
And like I said, I'm shocked he just didn't go down it the middle. It reminded me of Baggio for Italy many years ago. Yeah, correct. That, that's exactly what it was like, wasn't it? You know, um, that actually became a metaphor at that point. Oh, you did a Baggio, you know, at that point. Um, I remember growing up and people would hit the ball over the bar. Oh, Baggio. So maybe it's a Harry Kane now. Oh, you did a Kane now, Bridgie. That's going to be the one. Well, the thing you'll get from this is a, a Pizza Hut advert because every time an England player misses a uh, penalty for England, <laughs> they end up doing adverts uh, for Pizza Hut or for somebody. So, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yet again, we've um, we've gone out due to a penalty. Mm. Yeah, I was very interested to see um, the penalty and obviously, certainly the first one, um, how Kane was going to approach it and what Larice thought. See. So um, having, I mean, obviously, I've never played with Harry Kane, but I've played against him uh, quite a bit. And for me, and I've obviously watched him a lot. So for me, his go-to penalty is to the goalkeeper's right. And across, uh, Kane would use his right foot, obviously, as he does, and hits it across and whips it into that far, far post, like he did with the first penalty. And and a game of that magnet of this magnitude, that was, I, I you know, I would have assumed that's where he's going because that's Kane's go-to in my opinion um, and it's probably his most safest penalty so I'm surprised that Hugo Lloris went the other way and obviously when he steps up the big question is and I, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking myself what is he thinking where's he going to go what is he going to do is he going to try and do the same and th- there were two thoughts in my mind the same but a little bit higher or he goes across the other way and obviously he tries the one where he tries to go higher and he gets he gets it horribly wrong. Um, so, you know, Hugo Lloris has that bit of a uh, uh, an opportunity to to make amends, to readjust, to decide whether or not he goes with the go-to shot, and obviously makes that decision. And I think that plays an imp- that plays a part. I think that certainly contributes to Harry Kane hitting it high and above and over the crossbar because they're teammates, because he knows that's his go-to, and the, the 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 penalty the second one is even of greater pressure because of how little, that little time was left in the game. It was an absolute shocker, wasn't it? But he has done so much for the game in England. He won't be remembered for this, will he, Bridgie? Oh, it's going to stick in people's minds, no doubt about it. Um, but like you say, what he has done as a captain, as a leader for club and country, um, yeah, he's 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 a phenomenon. I thought he he was magnificent tonight, and like you say, to step up. Compose himself. Yeah, he's missed a penalty, but you've got to think of everything else that he's done. He's 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 breaking records at will. So it won't it won't. It's hurting for twenty four hours. We will get over it. Like I say, um, <laughs> Harry will be well remembered. Well, here's a bit of trivia for you. Uh, the goal takes him level with Wayne Rooney at the top of England's all time top scoring charts. That's fifty three goals. He now also has the most World Cup penalties scored stat. Can you name who's sitting behind him on three or one of the names? For World Cup penalties. Come on, Bridget, give me a name. Are we going, is it is it English? No. Let me put you out of your misery. Are you ready? It's actually an Aussie. Oh, Yenak. Wow. <laughs> Scott you MacDonald, you're a disgrace. You are a disgrace, <laughs> wow. Scott MacDonald. Yeah, I am. Forgetting about your colleagues and your nation. You're worse than Harry Kane. Uh. All right, let's talk about the first goal in the French the French team for a little while. Uh, Chouamini scored that belter to open the scoring. Um, Bellingham was obviously closing him down and, and he still blasted it past Pickford. Uh, but, you know, how, how good? Top draw. Um, that, that's, that's, that's very, very difficult to save. It's go through bodies as well. If you look at it as well, when Bellingham does make his challenge, pretty much goes through his legs. 
So for Jordan Pickford to, to try and say that or see that coming is very, very difficult. And it ends up right in the bottom corner. He shapes it so well, Shoemi. And, you know, a little word on him. You know, in terms of that French midfield uh, of Rabiel, Shoemi and, and Griezmann, going into this World Cup, the likes of Kante and Pogba not being in there, all of a sudden people weren't fancying them as much. I remember Rabio being linked with Manchester United at the beginning of this season, and everyone laughed it off in England as if he wasn't good enough for Manchester United. I'll tell you now, they'll take him now. They'll take him now because he's, his performances have been very, very good at this at this World Cup and for Juventus this season. And look, they're, they're a wonderful team. And we talk about Kylian Mbappe, um, you know, as being the, the main man for them, but they've got so much more to their locker than just him, as we've seen, you know, this morning. And uh, Shwemi is, is only 20 years old, 21 years old. And I, I seen him at the Euro under-19s about 18 months ago. Him and Kamavinga were playing in there. And I'll tell you what, guys, there's more coming. That's not just the only two that you're going to see coming through the ranks in the next couple of years. The French just keep coming and coming and coming. It's unbelievable the, the amount of quality that they've got coming through their ranks um, and how they do things with the likes of Claire Fontaine. And really, uh, I keep talking about it, but... Australia needs to take note of what they're actually doing and see if we can tap into to how they develop their players and, and have that. I'm very, very much for this, having this, this uh, you know, centre of excellence for Australia in the one place where the national teams can come, but also for the youngest talent that we have to develop further. And the French do it the best. What have you made of Chiumini? And also Jude Bellingham, he's been a bit of a revelation, Bridgie, for 19 years old. Um, he's definitely stamping his authority on, on future World Cups. And I was thinking if, if he stays fit and healthy and continues to play the way he's playing, he's probably got another three or four in him, maybe even five. Uh, who knows with Bellingham? He just seems to get better and better. And like I say, the, the, what, what we have seen of him at this World Cup for such a young age, he's been absolutely magnificent. Distance covered, he's passing... Uh, you know his final third entries. He's he's just been breaking stats um, on the ground, and he's he's actually a really likable character. Uh, you know the the English media even get on with him and like him, so that tells you how much of a nice character he's. Because normally it's like an assassination when they when they get on board. So yeah, I'm, I've been blown away by him. I I would love to see him get a get a big move in the summer and get to the Premier League. And I'm sure that it just depends what. Every every player has a cost. We know what happened with um, Haaland. You know, Manchester City were very, very smart. They waited another season because of the release clause that he has. So hopefully we'll see Jude. And like I say, the world is at his feet. If he can stay injury-free, we've got a, you know, England have got a superstar on the hands. Okay, there's a question for you. So you want to see him in the Premier League rather than go to... Obviously, he's been linked with Real Madrid. Um, do you think he'd be best served to be playing in European football or... Uh, the English football. We've seen Sancho come from from Germany and and really struggle in the Premier League. Look, I don't think that that would be the case for Bellingham. But if he does come to the Premier League, then where would you like to see him, Bridgie? I don't care as long as he's at one of the top eight clubs in Europe or in the world football. Um, if he goes to Real Madrid, good on him. Uh, do you know what it is? I think Liverpool. There's a, there's a big thing for Liverpool. He's you know they they've got a quite an age in midfield. Um, Man United's at your team there, Amy. They've just got a honk in midfield, so I think he'd walk in there. He'd struggle to get in Man City. <laughs> he'd struggle to get in Man City's team. Uh, I, I just don't care. I think where I think I think the. The novelty about this lad, he's shown he can do it in the Bundesliga. He's shown he can do it at national level. I think he's very, very versatile. He's done it in England at a young age of Birmingham. All right, it's not the, the, the pinnacle of football in the Premier League. I think he's very, very versatile. And uh, I've, Scott, you like that because I reckon he could learn 
and it would give him another niche to his game if he did go to, to La Liga. But on a selfish point of view, I would like to see him in the in the Premier League. You know, when you said uh, one of the top eight teams, I thought you were going to say one of your eight teams, Bridgie. <laughs> very good, Scotty. Very, very good. good. Very good. <laughs> I want to talk about Olivier Giroud's goal because ultimately it was the winner. Uh, what have you both enjoyed about his World Cup so far, apart from his outstanding hair? Oh, yeah, his hair looks good, huh? I could take note from him. Both of us could, Bridgie, actually. You know, that little grey flick that he's got. He's got more than you. It's very, oh, it's very stylish. Very stylish. Not after your butcher shot where you went last time, pal. But um, look, I love him and I love the story behind Giroud. Obviously, now the all time leading scorer for, for France. Um, look, he'll get overtaken at some point by Kylian Mbappe. That, that's without doubt. But in the, in the meantime, he is the perfect foil for Kylian Mbappe and even Dembele, you could say. If you will go into this uh, into this tournament with Benzema, obviously the Ballon d'Or winner, the best player in the world right now, arguably, um, do they play the same style? Does he suit what they play a little bit? He likes to come off into midfield areas and drop deeper. Does that then leave the spaces? I don't know, but I think that just Giroud is that platform. He holds the ball up so well. He, pins def- he gives defenders a hard time. And you know, if you deliver that ball, you know where he's going to be. And, um, you know, the, the story for him keeps going on and on. And from the last World Cup, he didn't score a goal, you know, but the French won the World Cup. But he's certainly making his mark in this one. They're on their way to number two, that is for sure. But they do have something they need to be careful of, and that is uh, the way that France uh, gave away two of the dumbest penalties I've seen so far in this World Cup. Could their discipline cost them in their remaining matches? I've got to say, the the first one is you get them. You know, I, I think Saka did absolutely brilliantly because first half England looked so isolated and looked very, very nervous and didn't have that confidence to take players on. Like when the French got it, they just went and attacked at pace. I was seeing Saka get on the ball and I'm thinking do something forward and they weren't really driving at the, the, the defenders and asking questions of them. Second half, I think Southgate said, get at them, prove why you're in this England team and why you do for your, you know, for Arsenal. And anybody can hang a leg out. And he just did enough to get it away um, from the... Who made the challenge? I can't even remember. But he he, he did enough. And he won the penalty. Yes. And it was, it was a penalty. It was a penalty for me, no doubt about it. Um, and he was unfortunate. You can hang a leg out. The second one by Hernandez is just absolutely stupid. You've got no... You, if you're not looking at the ball with VAR these days, what the hell are you doing? I mean, I was delighted. I was... As soon as I saw the replay, I'm going penalty. Brilliant. This is because we weren't going to get anything else off the referee. He wasn't going to give it because, by all accounts, the Brazilian referee is a massive French fan. Um, I've been, there's, I'm, I'm not bitter or anything, Amy, but I've heard big reports that he does actually like killing Mbappe a lot. Um, if anybody wants to check his name out on Wikipedia, please do, because I think you'll find out that he is a French fan. So that's enough on that matter. But he wasn't going to give it. <laughs> VAR gave it, and it, it had to be. You, you cannot do that. If you're not looking at the ball and you're shoving people in the back like that, it's just absolutely ludicrous. Come will on, it Bridget. affect them going forward? No, I don't think it will. They'll, they'll learn from it. And Didier Deschamps will have them at it again. He's a, he's a smart manager, and he'll tell them, listen, be, be more smart inside that area. Oh, Bridget, you're sounding like Messi and Martinez and all the Dutch players now, a little bit sauerkraut oh. there uh, after the after the loss <laughs> there. Come on. But I, I will agree. With, no, no, I will, no I will, not at all. Not at all. I've just been on Wikipedia and edited these whole stats. <laughs> 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 to be... <laughs> brilliant. Absolutely sure brilliant. But 
they were penalties. They were they both were penalties. Yes, and I think uh, the one on the the free kick, what should have been a free kick on Harry Kane, uh, probably should have been called earlier as a free kick. And I know they waited to go and have a look at VAR, and when when a clear foul was obviously outside the box, they they can't bring it back for a free kick. But um, I think England were unlucky there. Let me just touch on England for one more second because uh, Bridgie, this is a massive missed opportunity for this side. It's been fifty six years since their last win. We've now got Morocco and Croatia through who've never won it uh argentina on the other side of the draw do you think that england fans think this is an acceptable way to go out well it's uh, the world champions so it's it's acceptable yes but in the you know in the the manner of the the game i thought we were outclassed first half england came out with a total different mentality second half so uh, if we'd have got well and truly smashed for the whole game i would have been disheartened but the fact that the second half performance by england was so much better it gave you know I'm proud of them, and you get you get beat off the world champions. There's no harm done there whatsoever. And but with that opportunity, knowing you've got Morocco in the next round in the semi-finals, the teams that they have beaten, they can do anything, and they've got every chance of going on to win this and being the first African nation to do so. And I'm going to be rooting them on from now on because there's only two fairy tales left for me. And that is Morocco to win it and set a whole new, you know, a whole new record for the World Cup, uh, or Messi to lift the World Cup as well. That would be that. That would be nice. I never thought I'd say that about an Argentinian after what Maradona did to us. But yeah, Messi's a different breed. Let me just. Uh, I want to go into Schwartzy for this one because Schwartzy, do you think that Gareth Southgate continues on as the England boss now? No, I don't think Gareth Southgate should go at all. Um, if anything, they should be looking to try and keep him longer um, because. I think that was probably the best performance I've seen England play in a long, long time. And it was one of those games where they did not deserve to lose. They did not deserve to go out. And I thought they were far better than France. They just lacked that final little end product. Obviously, Kane missing the penalty at a crucial moment in the game um, cost them in the end. And I think if he scores that, the game changes. So, no, for me, I think England... For the first time, uh, well, for a while now, since Gareth has been in charge, I think we, we've seen the changes of the team. We've seen the changes of the players' mentality playing for England um, and uh, the desire, the willingness for players to to put on the shirt is there again. And it hadn't been for, for a long, long time. Um, the togetherness of the squad, which over years gone by, there was such divisions within the team. It was very well known. Um, having played with various players that played for England and, and were in and, out, in and out around the squad, it was, you know, they would talk very openly about how divided and how much they didn't actually enjoy going to England squads. So this is a time where it's all very, very different. And that is down to Gareth Southgate and, of course, the way they're playing. And I think he's still got it in him and the players still have the belief in him to take it further. So I would be, if I were England, the FA, I'd be looking to desperately try and keep him at the, club, uh, at the, at the Federation and keep him in charge of England. Well, there you have it straight from Schwartz's mouth. Stay with us. There's more to review as Morocco pulled off some magic to remain the only side to get this far in the competition without a loss. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. Let's take a look at the surprise result of the night. We've heard Michael Bridges' thoughts on uh, Morocco and how he's now backing them or Argentina. What a final that would be. But beating Portugal, some would say Scotty Mack is a miracle. Um, they've played five World Cup matches. They've only conceded one goal, and it wasn't actually an own goal against Canada. They've managed to keep clean sheets against Croatia, against Spain, against Belgium, and now against Portugal. What is going on here? 
And how come no one had them as a dark horse? Look, they've been absolutely wonderful, haven't they? And in terms of their their structure, their discipline, I mean, like they had 27% possession in this game. That's That's been a stat that's followed them throughout this tournament. They don't care um, because they're getting the results. And, and we've seen that time and again in, in this tournament, particularly that these teams that have come with a discipline and a structure, they're getting the results that it's, it's, it's happening for them. Um, none more so than Morocco. They only have conceded one goal in the whole tournament. You'd be silly not to consider them as, you know, real, real threats of, of winning this World Cup now. You know, they're, they're flying high. And obviously the header itself was a wonderful header as well, I must say, by, by Nesri um, in that first half. And you knew as soon as that went in, Portugal were going to be up against it. It was going to be very, very difficult for them to get back in that game. And sure enough, it just didn't even happen. And Ronaldo coming on, um, all the drama about him we'll get on to. But look, they they deserved it in the end, you know. And for me, it's been it's been a bit of a revelation this tournament in terms of like everyone talks about possession stats a lot um, and how important it is. And, and because look, everyone's very influenced by the Pep Guardiola way within world football and it's happened time. I love that time and again, I always say that, but it happens all the time and everyone's wanting to get it in the golden zones and, and all this stuff. And that's my disappointment about this tournament is that we've not had enough long range goals, um, memorable goals, uh, apart from the goal on from last week, uh, sorry, um, last night where um, the Dutch come back from 2-0 down. But look, getting back to Morocco, um, Look, they're going to be tough. They're, they're going to be the French aren't going to have it all their own way in this game. It's going to be very difficult for them to break them down and for, and for the likes of Mbappe to get his space that he wants. And, and this this clean sheet mentality hasn't just happened during the World Cup. Prior to this, three nil win over Georgia, nil nil with Paraguay, two nil win over Chile, and two nil win over Liberia. So that shows you they've had four more clean sheets before that, and Mo Salah was the guy that did the destruction during the African Nations Cup when they beat them two one. So this this team know how to defend. Well, let's talk about that, Bridgie, because um, Waleed Reg Reggie, he's only been in the job for eighty one days. Uh, it's his eighth match in charge of this Morocco side, yet they've managed to keep seven clean sheets and are yet to lose. That is way more than a coaching bounce. So how has he got this team playing so well? <laughs> he must just be a tactical genius defensively, uh, and the work ethic that this team has. Yeah. When you when I see them in the next round against France, they they were they've been dropping like flies. Their injuries, you know, the defending, chasing the ball down, they they've looked absolutely shattered. And there's a lot of strains of being coming in, and they've picked up a lot of bookings to be fair as well. But defensively, the organisation has been absolutely superb. Aerial bombardment, they've been able to handle it. The three centre halves have been absolutely massive. Saez has been. I mean, he was playing with a hamstring strain. He just said, strap me up and get me back out there in the last game. Um, not the one against Portugal, the the one before that against Spain. He was not going to throw in the armband and go off that field. They're, they're playing for their lives and they know that they're playing for their, their, their nation and they're, they're flying the flag for the African team. So I don't know what the coach has done. He must just have them so well organised. Me and Scotty both obviously done with badges and going through with coaching and Scotty's obviously managing at the moment. You've got to be on the park and you've got to be working and doing that and showing the organisation of how they've had a back five and a back four and then you want up front. And when you win it, can you counter-attack? And, you know, they, they do it with pace. 
that doesn't just happen. That is, that is discipline and structured. And you know, I don't know how he's been able to do it with the short turnaround unless they've had a bit longer because a lot of the European teams and the teams um, that we've seen go at this World Cup have come off the back of being with their clubs. So you haven't had time to get your organisation right. And maybe that's why we've seen a lot of shock results because your Belgians, your, your Spanish um, getting knocked out in the stages and Portugal going out and England going out, the managers haven't had enough time to work with their teams tactically. I don't know whether he's had longer um, with his team, but obviously he's only been in the job a short time. But he's done something and I don't know what it is or whether it's the players just embracing it. Schwartzy, what have you made of Morocco's defensive setup? I tell you what, you can't um, you can't knock Morocco. What they've done at this World Cup is truly amazing. Amazing to keep clean sheets against Croatia, Belgium, Spain, and Portugal, and only conceding one goal up until this point into the semi-finals, and it was an own goal against Canada, um, is phenomenal. Bono, the goalkeeper. I, I, look, I've seen him play in Seville for a number of years now, and he's been excellent for Seville. Big reason why Seville's also done so well in Europe <clears throat> um, because he's such a really good goalkeeper. So. It's no real surprise he's playing well for Morocco. And of course, when he when he's playing well, that means the team's going to have some success as well. But you've got to look across the whole team. The team has been set up very, very well. They're all they're all pulling together. They're, it's the first time I can ever remember a Moroccan team that was really, really, truly disciplined, united. The work rate, um, phenomenal. Um, and I think, I think you've got to put a lot of credit uh, give a lot of credit to the manager, you know, only taking over, uh, what was it, 81 days ago, um, eighth game in charge, just goes to show you how much and how quickly the players have taken to him and believe in him because it looks like he's been there for years and he's been absolutely outstanding for them. So, look, I am really impressed and I think uh, I think the manager has to take a lot of credit along with the players. All right, a little change of pace, not from the uh, the team, but the topic, because Bruno Fernandes uh, was clearly distraught after this game and has said following the game that he was very unhappy with the Argentine referee. Uh, let me try and translate this because obviously I don't speak the, the lingo, but it comes out like this. Uh, I don't know if they're going to give the cup to Argentina and I don't care. I'm going to say what I think and screw them. These officials don't referee in the Champions League. They're not used to this type of the game. They don't have the pace for it. They've clearly tilted the field against us. In the first half, there's a clear penalty on me, Bruno Fernandez says, without any doubt, because I'm isolated and never in my life have I let myself fall when I'm alone with just the goalkeeper and could shoot on goal. It's as simple as that. What do you think about these statements against officials following Messi's comments yesterday as well? And and do they have a point and should they be sanctioned? I'm going to go to you first, Schwartzy. Uh, no, I don't think they have a point. Uh, look, I, I, watched the, I watched both the games um, closely, and uh, I don't think the referee in the Argentina uh, Netherlands game cheated at all. I, I think it's ridiculous to suggest otherwise. Um, I thought that actually, if anything, you know, Argentina need to have a look at themselves and the way that they reacted. Yes, Holland certainly, Netherlands players did certainly intimidate, um, tried to intimidate the penalty kicker, um, which I think I think is wrong as well. But I, did, I just don't like it. Like Messi. Mate, he's bigger than that. He doesn't need to react like he did after the game. Emmy Martinez, look, you saved two penalties. Unbelievable. Don't have to shoot your mouth off. I, I don't get it. It, it. just It's such a bad look and it just reeks of just bad sportsmanship. Um, and just 
enjoy the moment, celebrate the moment that, that they're through and, and they've knocked the Netherlands out rather than just, you know, show a bit, be a bit classless. And I, I thought it was really poor from both of them. Um, and I didn't expect it from Messi, that's for sure. And nor Emmy Martinez. So, um, I don't think I don't think the referee at all. Pepe again, same thing. Um, I didn't think the referee was was bad at all uh, in in the Morocco Portugal game. I think what Portugal need to do is look at themselves. I, I don't think they perform well enough. Um, <clears throat> they have to look at themselves as to why they found themselves out of the tournament. They didn't they didn't step up. They didn't deliver. And you know, looking to blame the referee is just I think I think poor. I think it's last resort and it just shows you again. I mean, Pepe doesn't surprise me because we see the way he, his antics are on the football pitch time and time again. So it doesn't really surprise me, um, him complaining like he is. Look, FIFA have their own disciplinary uh, panel committee and they review stuff. And the only thing I always worry about is that, you know, because it's messy, do they even do anything? You know, what's well, messy, it's okay, it's un understandable. I mean, it was a bit like the referee. I, I don't even know why where that comment comes from, from Messi and Martinez. Messi should have been yellow carded in the game. It was a blatant handball to slow play down. He conned the referee in saying that he was just trying to protect his face and his hand was so far away from his face, it wasn't funny. And then he got a yellow card later on for dissent. So in theory, he could have easily been sent off. So I, I, I don't understand him claiming the referee cheated. Actually, if anything, the referee bought... Um, Messi trying to con the referee, which he did. So FIFA need to get tough, and regardless of who the people are, they need to set up the, the punishments accordingly. And my understanding is whenever you criticise the ref uh, openly and certainly with a serious accusation of say, saying that the referee cheated, then generally speaking, you, you get punished quite quite severely. So watch this space. Will they do anything? I doubt it. Semi-final of a World Cup, can't see it. One of the greatest players on the planet, don't see him, FIFA doing anything. Um they should, but I don't think they will. Well, Bridgie, on the back of that, Harry Maguire's also had a crack at the refs following their game today. What did you make of the refs' performance? I think I've stated my point about the ref tonight. He's from Brazil and he supports France, so that's all I'm going to say on that matter. I think the refereeing, to be fair, in this tournament, some of it has been absolutely honking. Uh, I'd never thought I'd say this. Thank God for VAR, because it has saved a lot of moments where it could have been horrendous. So, yeah, I agree with Swartie. They need to be sanctioned. Um, Bruno Fernandes, I think you might have lost a little bit in translation because there's no way he could have been that <laughs> harsh because he might get sanctioned off the back of this. If your translation is that good, he's in major trouble. Scotty, what you got? Yeah, absolutely. You know what? The translation about him never falling over if there's, if there's no one near well, him, I'm not I sure, I'm not sure too, about that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm a Manchester United fan, but, uh, you know, I think I've seen Bruno go over easy a couple of times, but that's fine. It's part of the Well, game. I was going to get a striker's opinion from the pair of you, but I think I'll just leave it as in uh, I think we all know that you're, you're feather touch light. That comes from a defender. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, I don't want to talk about the referees all day, but uh, someone else who will be super unhappy about the Morocco-Portugal result is, of course, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um he will likely not feature on the world stage again. Let's be let's be frank. So, what legacy does he leave on this competition? Um, that's a difficult one to say, isn't it? You know, he scored eight goals in the in the tournament itself throughout. I think if you look through the campaign since two thousand and six, um, probably last campaign was his best one um, when he scored that hat trick against Spain. Be remembered for that wonderful free kick in that game. Um, but it's just not worked for him. It's just not happened um, at these world tournaments and. 
has there been too much focus and involvement around Ronaldo? And you could argue the same about Messi. Um, if he doesn't go on to win this one, has there been too much focal point around them rather than the team unit itself? However, he's won a Euros. Um, his legacy is getting tarnished at the moment because of his actions and his behaviours, which is really sad to see for me because if we take that all aside, what a wonderful player and what he's gave us over the years and, and how enjoyable he, he has been to watch. However, father time is now appearing on him. You can clearly see that. There was a there was an occasion in the the last group stage game. Oh, no, in fact, it was the last game that, that he come on um, and he was offside a mile and, and the, the defender caught him, you know, like within, you know, five strides. And I was like, wow, I've never seen Ronaldo be caught like that before, even if he is offside. Um, so it's disappointing and it's sad and it was... It, like you don't want to see you know players uh you know upset like that as well he's gave us so many you know wonderful memories and moments even at this tournament however it's just the legacy is that he you know mbappe will go down as a legend within world cup history because he could end up winning a double which correct me if i'm wrong i can't remember another nation doing that um but you know, for the likes of Neymar now, uh, sorry, Neymar and Ronaldo, um, you know, the the question mark is, does Neymar come back again? And wonderful players as they are, um, they've just not managed to get it over the line. I think there are actually two teams that have done the double before, and I will get that fact for you, Scotty. Ooh. I do know one of them is Brazil. Yep. And there is one more, and I, I, it'll come to me shortly. But uh, I, I want to touch on Ronaldo still, Bridgie, maybe with you, because yesterday we were on with Optusport journalist Jack Austin, and he suggested Ronaldo would be best suited to a super sub role from now on. He's got no club to go to. Portugal are now out. The super sub didn't work for him today. Where does he go to from here? There is no way Ronaldo will be satisfied with being a super sub after what he's done. I can categorically say that. So I love I love Jack's intent there, being the next player and knowing how you, when you go down the divisions, you know, I've, I've played up at the highest level. The hardest thing I had to get my head around was that I wasn't going to be an elite player anymore after my two injuries. I'd lost my pace. Thankfully, I had the football and brain to keep us in the game and be able to adapt. But it took us so long to actually... Get come to terms with it mentally. I had to get rid of this ego to say that I'm not the top player that I used to be anymore. And you, you've got to find your level. And it took us a long time to do that. Ronaldo is not going to let that sit well with him. He'll not be known as the, he doesn't want to be known as a super sub. He wants to be Ronaldo. He'll go to a play a team. I've said it before. He'll either go to Saudi to fill his pockets. Does he need it? No, because he told P.S. Morgan he was worth half a billion. So. Does he need that kind of money in Saudi Arabia? No, we might even see him in the MLS. He'll want to go and be the main figure where he can go and get the Ronaldo brand out there. And I, I feel I've loved watching him. I think we've been blessed having him, and you know, growing up, seeing Ronaldo, playing against Ronaldo and seeing Messi at the same time competing. We've, we have been spoilt. And it's going to be so sad because we're now we're going to see, obviously, Neymar, yeah, I agree, but Mbappe, who's going to come and challenge Mbappe to see this this dynamics again of two two world-class players? And I'm just really gutted for Ronaldo 
that he's going out and tarnishing his brand and his legacy is going to be damaged because he's damaged it with Manchester United and he's damaged it with Portugal over just because of his... He, whether he's got, it's just his mental side of it. He can't. His come attitude, to, isn't it? His attitude he, towards the game. Amy, he can't come to terms with where Ronaldo is at, at this moment in time. He's got to accept that he is not the Ronaldo he used to be. And until you get that mindset correct, he's going to totally destroy everything in and around him. It's maturity as a player, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I feel sorry for him in a sense. And, I, and I'll put Neymar in the same bracket because the focus around them, and, and it always seems to be that the cameras want to turn to them at certain moments within matches, I don't see that necessarily on, on Lionel Messi at times. Lionel Messi goes about his business and everyone allows him to go about it quietly. He still does certain things, but we don't visualize it as much as what we do with Neymar and what we do with Ronaldo because he's still in the same bracket for me at Messi. He's still got that little bit of nasty streak in him. We've seen it when they beat the Dutch. We've What's seen it in his press Scotty, conference. Messi goes out and plays football and he doesn't like all the glitz and glamour around it. Yeah. You never see him show, but Neymar loves the bling. Ronaldo loves the, the, the thing. David Beckham had that as well. They're their own worst enemies. Paul Scholes flew under the radar. He was a better, one of the Paul Scholes, one of the best players. Everybody that went to England said Paul Scholes is better than anybody at the England camps. Messi flies under the radar, so they can't. You, you, you can't say they haven't brought it on themselves because they absolutely love it. Yeah, I look and just touch on Ronaldo before we finish. You know, it's been the human versus the inhumane in terms of Messi versus Ronaldo throughout the whole course. You know, we've been like Bridgie touched on. We've been so fortunate to see the both of them in this era of football. We'll probably never see it again. Certainly not in our lifetime. You know, Mbappe is going to challenge it and and break records. However. The moments that these two and, and the special moments they've gave us individually um, and, and the skills that they have. But you've got to give Ronaldo full kudos for him being able to adapt, adjust everywhere he's gone. He's gone to different leagues. Um, he's done it on the international stage. Uh, and he's had to work hard for it. Like the admiration I have for the guy. Um, and, and it's not to say that Messi doesn't work as hard, but. He's got a natural gift. He's got this yeah. gift from God that the ball just sticks to his Ronaldo's had to work time and again. If you see him when he first started at Manchester United or at Sporting Lisbon, and how his game evolved and, and adapted throughout those moments. Then he went to Real Madrid and becomes you know, a focal point, a number nine. He was a winger when he was at Manchester United. He changes, he scores goals. Then he goes to the Juventus, does the same thing, breaks records. You know, so like for me, and that's always going to be the wonderful uh, discussion about who was better. You know, was it Messi or Ronaldo? But it's clear now for everyone that, that Messi is, is ahead now and, and particularly because of how Ronaldo is behaving. On and off the field. Yeah, and he'll definitely ahead if they pick up the World Cup, that is for sure. All right, all eyes will be focused on that, but they'll also be looking at the semi-finals ahead. And Scotty, before we go there, it was Italy in the 1930s. Yes, so I've you're forgiven that. for not knowing that because you weren't how bad? Or around. How, no. <laughs> oh, Italy, did they, so, were they at this World Cup? No. No. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> very good, Bridgie, very good. All right, as we look ahead, Argentina taking on Croatia. A quick thought from each of you on how this will play out. <laughs> Honestly, this, you know, like Bridgie's talked about Morocco and chanting Morocco. I tell you what, I'm behind the Croatians and what they've done and the legacy that they've had over these two were last World, the 2018 World Cup and now 2022. And it's against all odds, this one. Uh, you know, no one fancies them. I, I've wrote them off um, time, absolutely every round we've gone in the knockout stages. 
But there you go. There's eight now out of the last nine. They've took the extra time um, in these knockout stages. It's incredible, and they just keep doing it. And it wouldn't surprise me if they do it again. Well, if it goes to extra time, I think Croatia will get the win here. That is mm. for sure. The uh, stats sit on their side. Bridgie, who's going to win? Like I said, if there's anybody that I'm rooting for, it's going to be Messi now, and I'm hoping to see him lift lift the World Cup. So I've, I've, yeah, I'm going to go Argentina. But what I will say, Scotty, and you know, Amy yourself mentioned it before. This is a nation in Croatia that you know the population and what they have achieved in the global scheme of things with such a small nation on a footballing state status. Surely Australia have got to take something out of their DNA or whatever they have been doing for their football in their country to produce so many superstars with this mentality of never say die. It's absolutely incredible. So, like I said, it doesn't bother me who wins this game because they're both they both have got a place. Obviously, Argentina for Messi and Croatia because of what they are all about and how they they just seem to find a way and they've got so many individual quality players. But as a team. Oh man, if when they go behind, they never they never give up. So, yeah, who who knows? Either way, whoever gets the final is going to be magic. Notice there, Scotty, he didn't pick a winner. We'll just hold that for him uh, when we're having a discussion about <laughs> Australia. it later. <laughs> uh, Morocco taking on France. Is this going to be one-way Mbappe traffic? Uh, we're just going to see Morocco parking the bus. And who's going to win? Look, I, I think France will win this one. I just can't see. Look, I, everyone, it's obvious to everyone that that they see it as an Argentina-France uh, final. I, probably, I definitely see that myself. Um, look, if France can break Morocco down very early on, then it could be a long night for the Moroccans because you know, they're going to have to come out and try and you know, get back into that game. That's not happened at all in this tournament, though. So it's easy for me to say that. But look, I, I just don't see it going to be one-way traffic. France will dominate the game, yes, but to open them up is going to be very difficult and... Look, I can see this being really, really tight and a 1-0 victory for France, you know, in full time. I am going all red. I've got the red. It's not a Morocco flag. It's a Christmas card, but it's red. I'm going Morocco. <laughs> Stuff the blue. Morocco all day long. You know what it is? This team, they've, the last two wins that they have had, they have brought London and Trafalgar Square to an absolute standstill. Yeah. They have been partying. I've, I've never, I haven't seen that since the Lionesses came home with the Euros. So for me, it is red. It's Morocco. Go and do it. I'm going to say a 1-0 victory here, whether it's in extra time or whether it's in full time. There you go. Go on, Morocco. You talk oh, about you Sorry, you talk about London being atmospheric. Could you imagine Morocco win this game and what Paris is going to be like if they win this game? It's going to be absolutely chaotic um, in terms of all the Moroccans that they've done. Obviously, the history we know uh, of the two nations as well. It, it, it just makes for, a, you know, an interesting uh, game itself and the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable at this game with all the Moroccans there. It's not going to be Viva La Blue, it's going to be Viva La Rouge. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be put out of your misery on Wednesday and Thursday this week. You get a couple of days' break now. Uh, to Michael Bridges, thank you for drowning your sorrows and still being brave enough to join us this morning following that loss. <laughs> Thanks for being with us. To Scotty Mack, uh, go and enjoy the fact that uh, you watched England lose today. I know that makes you happy on the inside. Thanks for your company, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bridgie. Amy. Yes. Have a nice night, Bridgie. <laughs> Cheers, Scotty. Enjoy it. All the Gig and Pod and listeners, to... you can laugh at England. Brilliant. Well done. 
And a big thank you to Mark Schwarzer for chiming in as well. Don't forget the Gagan Pod is on daily during the World Cup, so make sure you hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars while you're there. And a reminder that the WSL is continuing in the UK, all games live and exclusive on Optusport. Of course, the Premier League back on Boxing Day too. We look forward to that right here on Optusport. I've been your host, Amy Duggan. Thank you for listening to the Gagan Pod. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.